All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. You're listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thanks so much for joining us today. Up ahead this hour, it's Ear to the Ground and Jukebox Republic. But first, we get the week underway with a new episode of Here in Taiwan. Hello and welcome to Here in Taiwan. Today is Monday, November 18th. I'm John Van Trieste and joining me here in the studio today, we've got Jake Chen Hello. and Paula Chow. Hello. Up next, how Taiwan is trying to get its doctors to deliver babies in remote areas. Then central Taiwan city, Taichung, is ready to get the Michelin Guide treatment. And nicknames can bring a sense of warmth and familiarity to the classroom, but when do they become inappropriate? We'll be hearing about a list of nicknames a teacher has been calling their students and uh, why it sparked some controversy. All that coming up next. Please stick around. This first story today is a little bit surprising. I was under the impression that we weren't having babies anymore here in Taiwan, but apparently we still are, and some of them are in hard-to-reach areas. Right. We have babies, but we don't have enough doctors, especially in remote areas. And to uh, tackle that problem, the health ministry says um, it is planning to um, give doctors 300 U.S. dollars for each baby they deliver in remote areas. And what qualifies as a remote area? Like in Taiwan, I think the idea of concepts like countryside, for instance, are quite different than they are in some right. other parts well, of the world. Right. Well, the health ministry has a, um, you know, a clear um, definition. If an area only has um, one doctor, it, then that doctor has to take care of 12,000 people, and that place is considered a remote area. Okay, so, right. you know, because sometimes people are like, oh, I'm from the countryside, and then you go, and it's like a place with a, a shopping mall and, you know, right. a convenience store on every corner. So it's, I think that this, this, these terms can be relative. Right. Well, the health ministry said that the, the, the subsidy, of course, is, um, is hoped to, you know, attract uh, doctors, and, and they also want to find enough doctors to take care of pregnant women, to take care of newborns, and to boost uh, the birth rate in rural areas. But our birth rate is, like I said at the beginning, low to begin with. Are we right. really? Are there really that many babies that need birthing? What uh, confuses me a little bit, and I, and I do think it's a, it's a good policy, but it's not the doctors that you got to encourage, it's the parents. To right? have babies to begin with, right? Oh, yes. Right. That's another problem. I guess maybe the idea is, hey, look, if you have a baby, we'll have a doctor sent over to you. You don't have to worry about that. Is that sort of what they're thinking here? Maybe. Well, I think so. Yeah, in remote uh, areas, I know especially on uh, several of those offshore islands, medical resources and personnel especially can be really on shore supply. So. Not just there, but it's a, it, there is a definite regional sort of disparity disparity between uh, sort of the big hospitals and and uh, you know general availability of care so that is true yeah I've heard about that before but uh, I, I'm just surprised that there is I, I think maybe they won't have to pay out all that much because Taiwan's birth weight as we often say is dismally low right and we have a rapidly aging population but anyway um to because uh, remote areas they don't have um, enough doctors so the health ministry has already decide uh, has already decided to give um, doctors theory in the um, in additional subsidy um, per month. For example, it's two thousand to three thousand U.S. dollars per month, and that 
uh, new measure will um, you know begin uh, taking effect um, next year because mm. they they really have trouble finding um, you know doctors for example in the southernmost uh, Pindong County and one doctor says he's willing to go there however he also admitted that it's because he lives in uh, in Tainan city so it takes him four hours by car right. to go from his home to um, the work the place where he worked he, he, he said um, uh, you know it's true because uh, you know uh, Pindong County it's well um, it's kind of far and also transportation is not convenient but he will do it hmm. well I think it, it would be interesting like I don't know if someone would give me that kind of money. I couldn't v- imagine moving out to the country. It's it's very relaxing out there. I think a lot of people go visit. Right, um, but a lot of doctors they have families, they have their wives, children. Sure, their that's wives, also so that's true. That's a problem. That's right. also true. You can't uproot everyone, but yeah, I I, I can imagine like uh, you know, give me a spot in Hualien or Taidong. Beautiful, beautiful. I can imagine you know if I were a doctor <laughs> opening a practice in one of those places. venerable Michelin Guide, uh, which this article I think quite rightly refers to as the Bible of global fine cuisine, uh, is already here. Uh, Taipei's been on their radar for a couple years, and uh, we've been, we had like a, a Taiwan guide, but it's so far pretty much just focused on the big city here in Taipei. Uh, but as anyone who's traveled around Taiwan can tell you, there's a lot more to Taiwanese food than you can just, than just what you can find here. Um, and so, uh, in response, the p- good people at the Michelin Guide are expanding their scope, and they're going to not list them separately. It looks like it's going to be in one, the same book, but they're also going to uh, branch out and explore the central city of Taichung, which a few years ago, re- I think, overtook Kaohsiung to become Taiwan's second most populous sort of urban area. And so, there's a lot going on there. I mean, it's not just food. They opened an opera house. Uh, and I, I also found a link to a story a couple years old now that foreign people who are living in Taiwan pr- actually prefer it to Taipei because it has much milder weather. Oh, which yes. is true. <laughs> which is true. Well, less yeah. humid and sunnier as well, right. warmer and sunnier. So a lot of things to recommend this city, a vibrant art scene and so forth. Uh, but the food is really good there too, apparently. And I was not aware of that actually. I think the most famous spots outside of Taipei for cuisine are probably Tainan in the oh, south. Yeah. Uh, which has it? People there are very fiercely proud of their local cooking, and Gaoshan also has a few very good eateries too. But I guess when it comes to very fine dining, uh, there's a lot that Taichung has to offer, and it's not all fine dining. Of course, Taiwan's favorite thing of all, street food, is in abundance there too. Uh, this article cites Fengjia Night Market there, which has about 1,800 stalls and shops, and uh, they're humming. They 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 have a total output output of about 328 million U.S. dollars per year. So a very happening place, and. Um, it's going to be a bilingual book, so I think locals and foreigners alike can consult it. Uh, apparently, it made some Taipei's uh, restaurant industry really expand by quite a few percentage points over the last few years. So uh, maybe it'll have the same effect down in the central part of the of Taiwan. Um, and so apparently, it's not just the arts. They're making rapid progress in the food service industry, according to... This is according to Nicolas Achal, who is the managing director of Michelin Food and Beverage Asia. And there's a lot of potential there that he can see. And uh, so he's confident that they're going to have Taichung in their Taiwan guide every year from now on. Uh, and I think it was a pretty uh, si- sort of a significant event when they announced this because standing next to him was the city's former mayor, who of course now oversees the tourism uh, bureau as transportation minister. And he-, he actually wrote his own guidebook to the city, which I did not know until uh, today. 
So, uh, yeah, uh, I think that he's certainly stoked about promoting his his sort of hometown. And um, it says here that uh, they're going to do the standard star system, one, two, and three. One being for good cooking, or excellent cooking worth a detour if you've got two stars. And three is exceptional cuisine worth an entire journey. So... Uh, apparently, people have been making the journey to Taipei to try out our three-star restaurants, and I'll see what uh, we'll see what happens in Taichung. What do you think of when you think of Taichung cooking? I don't know. Of? You know, is Taichung famous for its local delicacies? I know that they produce taro, which is a sort of tuber plant. That's uh, they're famous for that, and also some, what's called sun cakes. Sun cakes, a local right? That, bakery that's the that only thing. Yeah, them. I can think of. So I would be very interested in seeing this book when it comes out next year and maybe going down to do some exploring of my own because uh, I mostly associate like central and southern. I think of Tainan. Mm-hmm. Uh, incidentally, the transport minister says he hopes that they were gonna, they'll expand it even further to cover those southern regions that we all well, know and love. Good. So yeah. uh, I think we'll be getting a lot more attention in the coming years. I wasn't particularly ever called a nickname in school growing up, especially not by teachers. What about you guys? Uh, not me either. I don't really stand out in a positive or in a negative way. So. Oh, what about you, Paula? You haven't. No. Well, apparently, one teacher uh, makes a habit of calling kids nicknames. I think I remember a few uh, of my classmates being going by certain nicknames growing up. Uh, Good ones. Um, Maybe not. Yeah, I mean, mostly like initials and things like that. Not really anything. Okay. Uh, but there's one teacher who maybe have in Taiwan who's maybe taken that a bit overboard, and people are complaining about it. Right. She took it a bit overboard and not exactly in the right direction, I would argue. So uh, recently in a parents' Facebook group, uh, a post got viral. And uh, heading the post is a photograph of a list of names, a printed list of names that a teacher has used. And she would uh, give a list like that, and then she would tick. Uh, it's attached to apparently the students. Uh, not so, Sorry, it's not attached to the student's report card, but it is Attendance? given to the students. Oh, given to the students. Right. So, event- so to every student, she'll sort of tick uh, under one of the nicknames that she has. And she has like close to 20. And uh, it is unfortunate that none of these nicknames are exactly pleasant. Uh, I think this is a list for a woman. I'm guessing she's, she probably has for a list for, for men as well. Um, and uh, just to translate several of these names, um, she has a xiaojie, a miss at the end of every nickname. So uh, these are, uh, in no particular order, Miss Chatty, Miss No Friend, Miss Gossipy, Miss Nobody. Oh, that's really bad. Miss Nobody Likes. And I'm not, um, I'm, I'm translating sort of the meaning of these nicknames. I can't even sort of give the, the connotation of it, you know, in, in Chinese, which is which makes it even worse. Mm. Um, these are not, not nice names to be called. And I've only no. imagined she spent as much time on her uh, curriculum and her classroom preparation as she did thinking of nicknames for them. I mean, she can keep them all straight. Right. These are pretty, uh, like, I think these are, like, creative in all the wrong ways, you know, like, these are nicknames that stick, you know, to put it uh, simply. Uh, so, yeah, um, parents apparently got, a, got a, a copy of the nickname and posted it online, and it exploded. Uh, uh, teacher, really? sorry, parents weren't having it, because this is verbal bullying, to put it simply. And did uh, it, the parents recognize any of their own children from the names they're being called? Uh, <laughs> I think several of them responded, but this is from one particular school. So, uh, I, you know, I guess a lot of the parents who responded, uh, who, who uh, posted comments, aren't from that school. Uh, they're from other places. Mm-hmm. Right. I think the teacher should get fired. 
Yeah, she's. Yeah. This is quite recent. This happened uh, literally yesterday. So I, just, I don't get that though, because like a lot of school uniforms, they literally have the student's name embroidered on their shirt. But you, you just wouldn't have to look at their shirt to if you can't remember their name. Right. You don't I need to resort to nicknames. I don't all. think the point of this list is to help tr- help try to help the teacher to remember the students' names. You know, I think you know she's just having too much not fun having too much of her own way with her students i don't know that just seems like what what, what grade is this uh this is oh this is an elementary school so that's when the students were actually young and very impressionable so yeah yeah and these ones like i wish i could translate the connotations because they really might stick you know so you know like miss no friends miss confused these are not exactly nice so or, yeah. I mean, and so uh has the teacher been fired do we know what happened to her uh no we we we've uh this was like i said posted yesterday and we uh yet to know the sort of the repercussions for uh, the teachers or anybody else might be involved i don't think it's going to be a very good result <laughs> i sure hope not i right. think uh parents if, are a lot more um I, how would you put it? Uh, standing up for their children these days than they used to be. Yeah, and and admittedly, sometimes parents can go overboard, but in this case, I I think the, the teacher is clearly gonna, in the wrong. And you know, if anybody need to learn something in the classroom, that'll be her. So yeah, I yeah. can't imagine that makes it easier to pay attention and learn either. If you're thinking about yeah, I mean, imagine how the students might feel. That it's demoralizing. Yeah, it's um, deflating to to say the least. And so. I think it could yeah, carry over into other classes that they have. You know, they yeah. decide that they don't like school altogether. So, right. yeah, um, I guess a, a situation where the kids weren't the bullies after all. Yep. Well, surprise, surprise, a recent survey uh, has found what our favorite country is. Any guesses? Uh, must be Japan. Jake, what do you think? Uh... It's not South Korea, is it? No, it's, it's got to be Japan. You are both right. And, of course, uh, this was a survey commissioned by uh, the Japan-Taiwan Exchange Association, the, oh. the not-quite embassy here. Mm-hmm. Um, and you would say, oh, of course they would say that. But this actually seems to have been done for them by Nielsen, which is a market research company. So I don't think they, that they were... No one was pulling any strings. They were really asking people what they thought. And uh, about 60% of the respondents picked Japan. And... Uh, it's like they've had a very long uh, streak as uh, Taiwan's favorite. Uh, previous surveys in 2009, 2010, 2012, and 2016 all had Japan at the top. Not surprising. And, well, it kind of is. Um, I think that when Japan ruled Taiwan, uh, you know, over around 100 years ago now, to 50 years ago. It lasted uh, half a decade, yeah, um, half a there century. There were quite a number of bloody uprisings. So Absolutely. given all that history, uh, it's kind of an interesting outcome, especially when you look at, compare Taiwan to uh, other former Japanese colonies and their attitudes and feelings towards Japan generally. Right. Um, I think in, in recent years, especially, there there has been a, an effort in the media to, to portray Japan in a fairly positive light. So that might have I something to do I with it. I don't know. I think people just are... I think people like to go on vacation there. It's close. It's I physically it, close. I think it's, like, it's very safe and orderly. Tourism and exchanges definitely have something to do with it. Yeah. Uh, 59% was, was uh, preferred Japan over any foreign country. And that's up 4% since 2016. So oh, our, wow. our views have only gotten better over time not surprising uh, was the last time yeah um and uh it looks like china and the u.s both picked up some points too china eight percent and the u.s four percent so that was they were third second and third respectively uh, surprising as well u.s is below china uh that's what it looks like that is um well cool. i don't know what that says but uh, it's probably is, not not something good for the u.s um, curious is south korea on the list it's not mentioned mm. um um 
people 30 to 39 were had the most favorable views of Japan, which I think they were, that was sort of the bubble period when everything was glittery and the economy yeah. was roaring. And I think there was a lot of admiration, maybe, and culture, too, Definitely. Uh, coming over here. Although that's still true. I think a lot of Japanese artists are very popular here in movies and uh, films. Um, and Japan, of course, not surprisingly, is the top pick when asked which country they would prefer to visit. 44% picked Japan, uh, 18% Europe, 12% Australia and New Zealand, 9% the U.S. and Canada, and 8% China. Uh, and the same survey says that 37% of people think Japan is the country or area that Taiwan should have the closest relationship with. That is what the government, at least um, the current one, is trying to do. So. Um, and China was next after that with 31%. Yeah. Um, so... But most people don't think that Japan has the most influence over Taiwan. Only 15% said that. Uh, the top two picks were China at 45% and the U.S. at 33%. Um, there were a good range of ages here. So I think we may get a good range of attitudes at 20 to 80 years old. And That's a wide range. Some of them were actually probably schooled under Japanese rule, some of the older ones. Yeah, they could and, be old um, enough to, to live in that period. It was yeah. 1,003 samples. So I'm not sure how representative that is of the overall population, but... Uh, uh, it was done online as well, so I don't think they got that many 80-year-olds. Right. Um, but it was done during February, and uh, they said there is a margin of error of around 3.1 percentage points, give or take, plus or minus. Right. And before we go today, a look at student debt in Taiwan. Right. Uh, these are significant numbers, uh, probably not compared to the U.S., but compared... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to beat that. It's but. minimal compared to U.S. debt, but compared to, I think, average Taiwanese income, these are significant numbers. So the Ministry of Education, uh, a couple of days ago, just published a set of numbers on uh, student debts, and... Uh, a total of 273,000 people uh, who have a diploma who are, that is above secondary education, so college and universities, are in debt. Um, the ministry didn't say exactly what the average is, but there is a series of interviews that uh, follow the survey. And um, it's interesting to get a sense of how sort of people at different age and, and with different educations and different occupations have debts. So, for instance, a 25-year-old engineer, Ms. Zheng, um, he said he's currently paying 3500 and he will be paying 15 years of that. So that's a 50, That's a total of over 50,000 new Taiwan dollars or close to, say, 1,800 US dollars. And I think that's a good chunk of what his monthly salary is going to be monthly. That's, yeah. a, that's very little savings are left over. Right. Uh, many of the people surveyed and interviewed said uh, they, they try to pay off as much as possible. So if he's only paying that much, 100 bucks US per month, then he's you know he doesn't have cho the choice to oh, pay 3, more. 3,000. Okay, well, that's that's not unreasonable. Right. Um, here, uh, on, on the scarier end, here's a 35-year-old Miss Chen. She said uh, she's paying 12000 a month and she'll be paying eight months. That's close to 100000 new Taiwan dollars or 3500 uh, uh, US in debt. Again, I don't think it's quite as dramatic as in some other parts of the world, but mm -hmm. uh, it shows the lengths that people are trying to go to to get ahead and get an education here. Yeah. Well, that's all we have time for on today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. I'm Jake Chen. And I'm Paula Chow. Don't go anywhere just yet. Up next, it's Ear to the Ground and Jukebox Republic.
It seems like everyone in Taiwan has a favorite food stall located down a tiny alley that sells the best dumplings or the best knife-cut noodles, and they love to tell everyone about it. It's almost as though people here love to talk about the food nearly as much as they like to eat it. One of the best places to really submerge yourself in this uniquely Taiwanese food culture, in which people seek out foods to eat and discuss, is the night market. There are treasures to be found there, and a whole banquet of sounds to wash it all down. I'm Andrew Ryan, and in today's ear to the ground, we head to Shilin Night Market in search of some edible sounds. 贴紧台湾的羊耳朵 ，an ear to the ground. Eating is a shared experience in Taiwan, an integral part of communicating and getting to know one another. People don't necessarily break bread per se, but they do share communal dishes placed at the center of the table, and they dig into heaps of steaming food with their chopsticks. Business is also lubricated with piping hot cups of tea, or with little glasses full of a strong, clear alcohol known as gaoliang. Food is also an integral part of almost every important rite of passage in Taiwan, from weddings to births to the completion of construction on a new house. Taiwanese people are some of the most hospitable people too. They love to share seasonal foods with one another. They bring home treats they buy on vacation and invite foreign guests over for a Lunar New Year meal. But one of the most exciting eating experiences can be found at Shilin Night Market. Brightly lit stalls compete for your attention and for your business, and you can watch them prepare the foods right before your eyes. Most people tend to eat their way through the market, getting an oyster omelet at one stall and a squid stew at another stall down the way, rather than eating a full meal at any one place. And when I recorded the following sound postcard at the Shilin Night Market, I used the same concept, recording some sounds of stir frying at one stall and the calls of a noodle seller at the next. Have a listen to the sounds of this market located in Taipei City, just as the sun had set on a busy Friday evening. Flashing neon lights beckon as the last rays of sunlight fade into darkness. A steady trickle of people widens into a stream. Soon, the marketplace is full of shoppers milling about, browsing through everything from cut-rate T-shirts to household wares. A girl with a BB gun takes aim at a row of balloons. A tiny roller coaster carries a little boy, its lone passenger, in a solitary circle. And somewhere at the heart of all the din and clatter of the Shirley Night Market at dusk, the wafting smells of Taiwan's famous snack foods entice hungry passers-by. Raging fires burn under walks and vats of oil. Sweating chefs whip up oyster omelets, rice topped with braised minced pork, and plates of crunchy, golden, stinky tofu. It's a scene that would make any homesick overseas Taiwanese weep. Wonderful foods from home, the tantalizing fragrances of local ingredients, and above all, the flavors that conjure up memories of days gone by. The caption on today's sound postcard: the clamor of a night market bracing for the dinnertime crowd. Again, that was a look at some of the sounds from the Shilin Night Market, which is located in the northwestern part of Taipei City. 
If you have any questions about this sound postcard or any of the other sounds in our series, Ear to the Ground, do send us an email. Send it to Ear to the Ground, care of Radio Taiwan International, P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, ROC. You can also send me an email at androo at rti.org.tw. With an ear to the ground, I'm Andrew Ryan. Just tune into Jubal's Republic. I'm Shirley Lin at Radio Taiwan International. Well, um, for the last two weeks, I've been talking about my daughter's wedding, Clarita's wedding. Um, two weeks ago, I was talking about the wedding rehearsal, and then last week, I was talking about the wedding ceremony itself. But that's not it with Taiwanese weddings. The biggest thing is the wedding banquet itself, which actually is probably the biggest headache of all because. You know, in the planning stage of it, you have to figure out like who gets invited, and then who sits where, and who should sit with who. So, but nevertheless, you know, all's well that ends well. It was still a really beautiful wedding day, and I'll tell you all about the wedding banquet itself. There's a lot of tradition involved, but uh, here's this song called "Gandong." It means moving, touching.
Well, the wedding day itself turned out to be a really good day for weddings on the Chinese calendar. It's an auspicious day. So on the way to the banquet,、um, banquet venue from the church building where we had the、uh, wedding ceremony, it was just the traffic was just so bad. But、um, yeah, anyway, by the time I got there. I quickly changed to my evening gown. So in the rush, I totally forgot to change my earrings and the bracelet, which、uh, my friend had kindly lent me for the evening. I got a little bit frustrated. It's kind of disappointing, but anyway,、um, still everything was fine, fine, fine. So, like I said, the most Taiwanese thing is attending wedding banquets. But the most Taiwanese wedding tradition of all is that all those people who are invited would have to give red envelopes filled with cash to give as sort of like a blessing for the new couple. But I mean, I mean, there were these long tables, you know, set up outside the banquet hall just for collecting these red envelopes. And what、uh, people would,、um, you know, those people who would sit behind the table would record the name. They write down the name and how much money they actually gave.、Um, yeah, you know, it's all recorded. I, I have that in my books, so basically the money, of course,、um, goes to pay for the banquet. But whatever's left over, we give to the newlyweds, you know,、uh, for their new life together. Ideally, you see, you know, there is sort of like a minimum. I mean, it's always really hard for people to decide how much to give, how much to put in the envelope, you know. And you know, with the internet, people can just find and you know, look up the place. That we've booked for the banquet, and then figure out how much it is for a table, and then you'll get to figure out how much it is per person, and you know, and then you ideally would give a little bit more than what is,、uh, you know, than enough to pay for your meal、um, at the banquet. So you would expect to have some left over, and then that would go to, you know, like I said, in our case, we gave to the newlyweds. So generally.、Um, People don't like to get red bombs, hong zha dan, which is what they call the red envelopes.、Um, yeah, so a banquet hall would have all these round tables, and each table generally seats about ten people. And so originally we had underestimated and set twenty tables, but then we went over. So fortunately, though, fortunately, one of the walls to the venue that we had booked,、um, it you know it it could be、um, opened up. To、uh, you know, to another extension to the the hall itself. So eventually, we actually、um, filled twenty nine tables. In other words, nearly three hundred people were there. Of course, there was a table for my dear RTI colleagues as well. Well, we're gonna have a song here. Here's a Taiwanese song by Hong Long Hong. It's 灿烂的恋歌 It means like brilliant or bright, colorful love song.
难前途，灌溉出灿烂的繁华。一首歌，替你我唱出心中的感谢。Food was really good. In fact,、uh, this place we really checked it out first, and、uh, it's kind of a new place. It's only been a little more than a year old, and so we were glad to have found this venue because others are all fully booked. So the food is good. It's very important, you know. When the guests they leave the place, they leave with a good impression. Normally,、um, we would say that the dinner starts at six, but most likely it wouldn't start till like maybe seven or even later. And、um, that's all because somehow Taiwanese people have a tendency to be late to the events like this.、Um, we,、uh, of course, used the MC、um, who was who kind of like you know was in a contract with the、uh, the company that runs the banquet halls, and so she has suggested that we give、uh, a grand entrance. And、uh, Clarita and Vic,、um, yes, Vic,、uh, her husband,、uh, wanted to include their siblings. So and then of course both parents and then themselves. So we walked in two by two because Clarita had two siblings and so so does Vic. And then the MC would introduce each one of us. I wish I had a free hand to wave, but my gown was a little long and I didn't want to trip on it. And of course my other arm was wrapped around my husband's arm.、Um, just the other day, my friend、um, found a YouTube and said that we should have danced into some music. Well, I said it's not my daughter or my son-in-law's style. Maybe next time. I guess I wouldn't mind, but I'm not sure about Big John, my husband. The grand entrance gang, except for the siblings, took seat at the head table, which is right in front of the stage, which already seated my in-laws, my parents, and the groom's side.、Uh, they had a couple of、uh, senior relatives. 
Clarita happens to have both of her grandparents still alive and well, so they were sitting at the head table as well, you know. And uh, otherwise, you know, normally there would be the new couple and then their parents sitting at the head table, but then there would might be a couple of other of higher status that are important to the families sitting at the head table as well. Sometimes maybe maybe even the matchmaker. Um, I'm not sure about that, but Taiwanese culture is that even if you didn't go through a matchmaker. Um, you you're supposed to find someone to be the matchmaker. Yeah, isn't it funny? I say we have a song here. How about the song "Perfect"? It really was a perfect wedding. And this song here is from Zhang Xiuqin with the song "Wan Mei."
Now, usually there will be some games, you know, played before the dinner is even being served. Um, that involves the bride and the groom, and you know maybe the wedding party. I don't know. But Clarita and Vic decided that they just don't want people to get too hungry waiting for the dinner to start. So they just simply poured champagne onto a pyramid stack of champagne glasses. Now it's supposed to mean something good, right? But I wasn't listening when the MC was explaining it. So then after that, we started the the dinner. Course by course for the head table, but other tables have lazy Susans in the center, and everyone just helps themselves to it. It's a very Chinese thing to do. After a couple of courses, though, the bride and groom went to change to another evening gown for the bride, and the groom、uh, could or could not choose to change to another suit. But in this case, Vic did. Yeah, it's a very Chinese thing to get changed. So when they came back, everyone was invited to bring their wine glasses and line on the two sides of a path leading to the head table for the bride and groom to clink their glasses with everybody else's glasses as they walked towards the head table. So that was that was kind of a, a sweet interlude.、Um, after the two of them sat down,、uh, because we had challenged the videographer who happened to be、um, my son's、uh, classmate who's studying film as well. To edit a three-minute video of the wedding ceremony that happened in the afternoon, since most people didn't go to the wedding ceremony because it's definitely more Taiwanese thing to do for people to just attend the banquet, the evening banquet itself.、Um, anyway, so we all watched the video. It was just beautiful, so touching, and that was when I realized that Clarita had used the same Bible scripture as me in her own personal vow at the wedding. That was nice. Now some brides would choose to change a third time, but not Clarita. So after a couple more courses, they were ready to see off guests with the bride holding a basketful of candy for guests to take with them as they leave. Now each guest or family of guests would take pictures with the new couple, so there would be a line waiting to take photos with the new couple. Then after all that, after they all left, you know, we paid up、um, for the banquet itself, changed back to our own clothes. Because our best man was actually going to return our gowns and bridal gowns and everything for us, poor man. That's why he's called best man, and that ended the most beautiful and perfect wedding day that I've ever attended. I'm not boasting, but it really was beautiful. Even to this day, my parents are still talking about it. That ends this week's jukebox with public. I hope you enjoyed the program. I'm Shirley Lin, and another song. This one is Sebudani. That means. Can't let you go. Yes, we don't feel like we want to let go of our daughter, but she's happily married, and that's all that matters.
苦涩到我无法再推演。我拼命追，却拼命追到最后，爱就这样宣告尽结。我舍不得你，又爱不上你，我是无心这样困住。舍不得你，又背弃了你，爱情从此一上盘起罪名。你我的呼吸，正说着把我葬在爱故里。Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kilohertz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kilohertz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kilohertz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kilohertz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to PO Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's PO Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me/radiotaiwanintl. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me/radiotaiwanintl for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.